Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Hunter Muscaro, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Bucks is spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bello. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Tuesday, Jay Santos, Mike Gallagher, a special championship edition of Santos and the Sidekick. And you know what Tuesday smells like to me? Victory. Championship. Love it. All right, we will have a coaching show tonight. Obviously, some people may tune in this after Tuesday, but if you are listening to the podcast today, we will have coaches and everybody, players, whoever wants to come on from the team can come on and chat with us live. I have a feeling it'll be a lively show down at Wildwin Cafe. We'll have plenty of sound bites, I'm sure, and other things to have there. We've got some sound bites from the championship game. Game plan for this show, whatever comes to Mike and my mind. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but... Driving back from Asheville late at night, and I'm sure uh, trying to decompress a little. Mike uh, certainly doing all the things he does. The last four days have been a blur because I've been doing stuff down in Asheville, getting stuff ready with the video crew, stat crew, everything going on with uh, Kevin and the Steven, our uh, video slash sports information guys, and trying to help them on this end. You're doing all the back end work on the end. You've got, haven't probably slept a few hours like I haven't, but it has been glorious because when it ends in victory, it ends in a chance to go dancing to go to the NCAA tournament all worth it we can sleep uh, after night maybe Wednesday and Thursday catch up on a little sleep that'd be nice but uh, if it means that we have to stay up for more winning then that's totally fine now the Bucks are in the advantageous position of course of being able to sit and rest and coach Forbes talked about that actually today on or last night I should say on uh, Freddie Coleman's show basically said didn't love when I was at different places and we were in the tournament for that conference that we were in and game was over like Saturday, Sunday, and then all of a sudden it's just a quick turnaround. You don't get to sit back and enjoy the fact that you're going to be in the NCAA tournament and speculate and rest and just rehash everything and have it be a fun, enjoyable experience. It's just quick turnaround, got to do more work, boom, let's go try and win a tournament game. For the Bucks in this case, because they really just dominated the tournament and are now, of course, in the position six days ahead if you count last night six days ahead of selection sunday uh you can you can just recap and relive and enjoy and on the buccaneer sports network soundcloud if you do not know and you only find us on sanders and the sidekick soundcloud if you're not aware of the buccaneer sports network soundcloud do go back if you want to relive any of the games from this past weekend we've got the fast break 40 which is about a six eight ten minute whip around of the game catches the high moments um gives you all the information story of the game that you need to know in a very compressed fashion. You can listen to all three of those. There's audio from Coach Forbes and players after each game. And this was just an incredibly impressive performance, Jay. And I think that Saturday the inclination was after the Bucks locked down VMI and held them, what, 39 points under what they scored the game before when they beat Sanford in the first round of the tournament. The inclination was when Furman and UNCG got knocked out to overreact and get excited and say there's nobody in our way the path is clear but we know that the SoCon is so unpredictable and Western Carolina took the Bucks right down to the buzzer Patrick Good needed a superhuman effort to save ETSU to get the regular season title all by themselves on the final day of the regular season and so they weren't going to be a pushover and then you come against Wofford and you look at the games that you played against the Terriers and it's come for behind fashion two weeks ago and then two months ago it was 49-48 and you just never knew but it was just so impressive the way the Bucks got it done and I've got just to kick us off a stat representing I think the domination and really brings it all back well against VMI they were within double digits 16 seconds of the final 21 minutes and 22 seconds against Western Carolina 
The Bucks led by double digits the last 31 minutes and one second. And then in the championship game against Wofford, the Bucks led by double digits the last 10.51. So you look over the last combined, uh, roughly, I'm just going to give you 62 minutes, 63 minutes. Uh, the Bucks opponents, VMI, Western Carolina, Wofford, quarterfinal, semifinal, final, within double digits for 16 seconds. I mean, that is just wire-to-wire wire, lockdown D, impressive offense, and really leaving no doubt who the best team at that tournament was. Yeah, and I, I think everyone – kind of like last year everyone knew Wofford was the best team they had proven it right regular season undefeated I think people thought you know they had a legitimate puncher's chance or just getting a title game you never know what happens and you could knock them off it's sort of the same feeling I know Wofford tremendous effort to and, and give them credit they lost seven in a, I mean think about it. they lost seven in a row tight one three of the four were just gut wrenchers against the top three teams now, they lost some other gut-wrenchers, but the top three teams, they had a shot with the ball late in the game to either take the lead or win it. Or, in ETSU's instance, in case people forget, they had two free throws with under a minute to go that could have changed the game dramatically on senior night when their seniors didn't knock down the free throws. And that helped ETSU on to the victory. So, there were a lot of things that you could look at and go, okay, Wofford's prime for the taking, but everyone there kind of had that feeling just like last year we all talk you know us media radio guys we all you know hey you know if we got a shot maybe we can get in there maybe catch them on a bad night that was sort of the thought process vmi's thought was hey we had 18 threes the day before we've been able to see teams and wofford is an example of that team like vmi where they got hot shooting and they continued to win vmi suffocating defense from etsu they wasn't quite able to do that the first two games of western carolina it's been an individual performance that had lifted the Bucks. Tisdale the first time, and then Good the second time. Then you had five guys in double figures, but it was the Blitzkrieg to start the game that threw everybody off because you mentioned all the come from behind, come from behind, come from behind. Didn't have to come from behind. They literally came out with a different energy. They led by 26. Western cut it to maybe 12, I think, that one time. It, ETSU stretched it back out, won the game. Wofford, you knew they have a championship pedigree team from the guys that played significant minutes the year before. Now, they had some key pieces gone. Clearly, Cam Jackson and Fletcher McGee are talents. I don't want to say once in a lifetime. It's too strong. But certainly to have two guys on an inside-outside on the same team for four straight years, unheard of. Maybe. Probably once in a program's it, lifetime. It, it, you know, once or twice. Like, it's incredible. I mean, it, it to, me, around to me, it'd be like, you know, if Steph Curry had a legitimate five-man, right, then that's that's a chance you don't get that a lot. Wofford may not, any, and a lot of people in the league may not have that situation again. But they had plenty of guys that hit shots, and Storm Murphy continues to impress me. Chavez Goodwin, this tournament, was an animal. I think he averaged like 18.5 points per game. Perfect against the Bucks yesterday. Eight yeah. of eight. Well, and when you're dunking the ball a lot, it helped. But, I mean, he created a lot of that. It wasn't just, you know, everyone's collapsing, and they did. And Storm Murphy, again, threaded some needles in the block. But there was some plays, hook shots, other shots in traffic he was able to hit. And so he blocked shots, too, which is a, a nice adjustment for Wofford because that's one thing Cam Jackson didn't do. He was not much of a shot blocker. He was a tough defender, you know, and maybe because of the He was difference. the ground and pound guy. Right, and and <laughs> – you know, when you get somebody trying to back you down, Cam Jackson can stand his ground. Sometimes Goodwin can't. Right. But Goodwin's length and jumping ability and, and being able to alter or block shots, I think, is slightly different than what Cam Jackson was uh, able to do. And so Jackson's probably a little better passer, but Goodwin's came into his own, I think, in that tournament. And he's got he's got two year or one year. I can't remember. He played one year college trouble. I think he's only got one year left. But He's got a chance to be something special. I think Storm Murphy being a senior next year has got a chance to. So, Wofford's still in a good spot. But in that game, it was four games in four days, and some people played it up big. Some people, like Steve Ford, played it down. These are young guys. But there were a lot of missed shots hit the front of the rim. And to me, when they had to go zone defense, it was we're, we're not getting the lift we need on shots on the other end. How can we save some of our legs? Let's go zone defense. And the first few possessions, ETSU was not good against it. Then all of a sudden, Rodriguez makes a great pass. Shot goes in. Then all of a sudden, Tisdale off a dribble hits a three. Then they work it inside, and Rodriguez against Goodwin, who partially blocked the shot, gets it to go down. Then, you know, there's a 
think that was maybe good, hit his third three of the game. There was a just stretch where it was like, okay, right against the zone. They struggle, then boom, boom, boom. ETSU was able to stretch it out, and then from there, Wofford. And they gave it – it looked like to me that there were a lot of guys that left it out there, and you could tell at the end of the tournament. It always seems more tired when you lose, I give you that. But to give the effort not as deep as they've been in the past and to go four you know, games in a row competitively doing all that, the Wofford fans, a couple of them came over and were like, you know – I don't think the outcome would have been different if we would have not had played four games. The margin may have been different. And I think that's probably fair. A couple of those shots that were short probably would have went in. It just seemed like ETSU was on a mission. Tisdale, the most outstanding player, was ridiculous well during the tournament. And a 55% free throw shooter went like 17 of 18 from the line. That's one of the yeah. most unbelievable stats. And that, to me, is when you look back at the tournament, I think the stat that's going to stick with me you don't just do that over a three-game period. Like, that is a 40% difference in the biggest portion of the season where your season is on the line and your guarantee for the NCAA tournament is at stake. He just clutched up. He 49 points in three games on top of leading the but every team, I think, in charge is taken. So he's playing defense. He knocked down shots. Then you look at Trey Boyd, over 40 points in three games. Davian Williamson, over 40 points in three games. Those three guys led the way. I think... The unsung hero wasn't necessarily a player, but the center position. You know, three guys, if you look at Gusong, you look at Hughley, you look at Jeremy Rodriguez, all three played the center position, and they combined for like 18 and 14. And if you have one guy go 18 and 14, of course you're going bonkers. But because it was kind of spread out, uh, to me, I think that was important as well, considering the way Goodwin was playing some other things, you kind of negated what Goodwin was able to do, Chavez Goodwin for Wofford, because you kind of matched the point for point and you out-rebounded them. They just did it a little bit differently. And, again, it went with the, the team theory. Joe Hughley may lead the country in the most efficient minutes played in a conference tournament. His points per minute and plays he made in short period of time is unbelievable. Let me write it down for you. VMI, 3 of 4 from the field, 11 points in 9 minutes. Western Carolina, 2 of 3 from the floor, 5 points in 6 minutes. Against Wofford, 2 of 4 from the floor, 8.7 rebounds in 13 minutes. Add that up, 28 minutes and 24 points. That's absurd. I mean, that's a points per 40 of like 35. And that's unbelievable. And he, we're going to hear from in a moment, along with Steve Forbes and, and a couple of others, but I do wonder, and this is just a bigger picture question, when, and, and what Bo Hodges said after the game, a couple of different things, but he was talking about how when the summer came along, he wasn't sure what ETS he was going to be. And then he started to see the team do things that they hadn't done in previous years when he'd been here, his sophomore and his freshman seasons. And it's, things just started to change. The culture started to change. And talked about it being a band of brothers. And, and just he loves his guys, and they've always got his back. And everyone's been singing the same tune. And I wonder when that culture shifted. And it's not anything against the last couple of years. Obviously, very impressive teams uh, did a lot of very impressive things. But what coach Forbes said and I'm actually just gonna play this right now because it is such a brilliant quote and he absolutely nailed it out of the gate was what I thought this season was all about and definitely compared to what we saw last season in essentially this same spot against Wofford in the postseason a year ago I sat here and we lost to Wofford and I said to you guys that we were really good but we weren't special I said Wofford was special and they proved it tonight I sit here with a special team a special team. When did this team go from in the summer not knowing what it would be to getting to where it is being special? And who were the ones that spurred that on? And I think Joe Hughley is one of them because he came over from Central Connecticut State. He is that humble leader, that 50-year guy that someone can look to and say if they're not getting theirs, right? Because it's just human nature once in a while to get frustrated if you're in a slump like say a Patrick Good and give all of the guys credit because they've all gone through slumps at different points in the year Jerome Rodriguez five weeks out you know after having such a big year and I'm sure he's sitting there saying wow I didn't sign up for this by coming back but who can you look to as a guide and a leader on how to react to adversity and things not going exactly how you want because you know Joe Hughley didn't want to come here and play the amount of minutes that he did there's no question about that but he wanted to win, and he put that ahead of what may have been more personal goals, and I think that's been so important. I think that's one of the places where it started. I don't know where you think, but I certainly think that he has a lot to do with that. 
you know, I think the, the Europe trip gets a lot of credit for the bonding off the court. And I think that's that's what really a lot of guys have pointed to was like, you know, we see each other in the gym and some of us are roommates and stuff that we hang out, but you go over there, not many people speak English, you're not doing a lot of things. There was so much downtime, and I thought Coach Forbes, who's done these trips before, has at least seen what's worked and not worked with teams. Let him practice, sightsee, let them go be kids. You know, let them experience what, you know, if they want to sightsee, go sightsee. If they want to try different food, try different food. If they just want to find a McDonald's and go back to the room and get on their phone, then fine. That's what they're going to do. I kind of feel like that's how he treated it, and guys tended to bond a little bit. I know uh, Isaiah Tizel, Lucas Gasson was able to hang out a lot. Joe Hughley was kind of getting acclimated with the team. I mean, some other things were – we're kind of getting into there. And then I think once the practice started, you start to feed off what Joe Hughley brings to the table, which is, guys, I could have been a starter, you know, where I was at. Had a great year at Central Connecticut You know, averaging close to a double-double. Could have did that. I'm here to win a championship. I'm here to be a team guy. Then you get Trey Boyd and the transformation his junior to senior year. And he looks at you and says, I don't care if I come off the bench. I don't, I, don't, I mean, what, what do you need me to do? I want to be a team guy. And it's not just saying it. Look at the numbers. Look at the assists. Look at rebounds. Look at steals. Look at other things than points and shooting. I think he obviously was better shooting this year, and he added the mid-range jumper. You know, he was able, you know, to hit these 12, 15-foot jumpers that the analytics people will tell you is an awful shot, but for him was a good shot. He was able to hit them. He worked on it. He knew People are going to run them off the line. I think a great example, I told, uh, I guess I did a, a yesterday ESPN or whatever it's called, iHeartRadio Media in Asheville. They always do a pre-tournament show. And they cover all the games except championship game when Westwood 1 kicks in and all that. And they ask about Trey Boyd, what was the biggest difference? And I said, what happened right in front of your eyes yesterday? When he had a chance in the semifinal game, when ETSU was on the early run against Western Carolina, and he pulled up from 15 feet to shoot a jump shot and at the last second passed it to Lucas Gasson for a dunk, that would not have happened his junior year. That was going to be a shot. That was going to be Trey Boyd's opportunity to score. He is not like that anymore. And when you started to see guys, and success always helps, let's be honest. If they would have had a rough start, 2-6, and 1-7, and seven, then maybe all that doesn't happen. But because they got off to a good start – because they reacted well to losses. To me, that's a sign of maturity. Lose to North Dakota State, they come right back, play real well. I'm throwing the Kansas game out. <laughs> but and, and and even then, they played well in a loss. But when they go to yeah, Lose by State, 12 right. on the road to the number one team. I mean, you know, not a bad loss. And, by any means. and so you lose that, they come back, they bounce back. They lose to Furman, they come back at UNCG, they bounce back, they rattle off a lot of wins, four or five wins. Lose at home, Mercer, kind of the oddball of the season, uh, especially at home. They lose that game. They come right back again, UNCG, and they're down 17, and they come right back and score. And then the maturity kicks in the second half of the season because they're always down. And the belief is, all right, I trust in their words, my brother going to be able to do whatever. And the IQ to know who's having a good game, to give them the ball, and not care if that person has a good game. They are smart enough to know – and the basketball IQ to know what is going on. And they self-correct a lot of things. I think that's a sign of the team and the transformation of where they were a year ago. That is one of the things that Coach Forbes talked about post-game was, I don't really have to say a lot to these guys at halftime. They know what they need to do. We hang around outside the locker room for the first five or six minutes of halftime going at the 10-minute mark, and they usually have it figured out. I think what you hit on is very interesting, an interesting way to look at those first-half struggles or second-half successes of this 2020 calendar year going into the tournament that it maybe helped them grow and got them used to adversity and put them in a better spot because my big question coming into the tournament was can they play a complete game because we hadn't seen it a lot over this 2020 calendar year and certainly in February I'm just gonna go over the stats again and I know we've kind of gone over mad nauseum during the regular season and especially over these last couple of weeks but the first versus second half stats are incredible to look at from 2020 and the conference portion of the regular season take out the tournament because we're going to get there but in January plus 29 in the first half plus 19 in the second half then in February minus 10 in the first half plus 107 and so for 2020 plus 19 
in the first half, plus 126 in the second half. They put themselves behind the eight ball so many times, and you play the percentages, and eventually that's going to catch up with you, right? But in the tournament, it was completely different. It was like they got back to being what we saw them do in that 2019 portion of the 2019-20 year and what we see good teams do a lot, great teams do a lot, when they go on runs like ETSU has of now winning 12 in a row and like, what is it, 16 in the last 17 or 17, 18 or whatever the case may be. I've kind of lost track because all the games from this weekend are blurring together. But you got up by 12 against VMI. And you held them 39 points under what they scored the day before. You put the clamps down. You're plus 12 in the first half, plus one in the second half. Got out ahead and just stayed the course. Against Western Carolina, I think maybe the most complete game that ETSU's played the entire year, 97 to 75, the most points against a Division One opponent this season for the Bucks, And you scored 41 more than Western Carolina held Mercer to the day before. It was 70 to 56, and then you put up 97 on a defense that held Mercer, who can be explosive at times with Dmitrievich and others, to uh, 56 points. Then you score 97, plus 41. Uh, And then, obviously, the championship game where you get revenge for uh, for last season. But Western Carolina, plus 18 in the first half, plus 4 in the second half. Get out ahead, stay the course. And then against Wofford, plus 5 in the first half. And then as... The guys talked about after the game, and Isaiah Tisdale, I think, used the inch ahead with you on the postgame show. The coaching staff just tells the Bucks to go ahead by a point or two more each media timeout, and then a point or two, a point or two, and that will add up over the second half, and that will get you to victory, and it did. They were plus nine in the second half after being plus five in the first half, and ETSU scored within four points of themselves from the first to second half in each of their three games. Steady, consistent obviously balanced not only offensively but in the game flow as well and they answered the question that I had coming into the tournament resoundingly and convincingly that's that there was a different feel I'll say this when when Courtney Pegram used to have a look in his eye and he played on two back-to-back championship teams but every once in a while he would come out he would hit the first couple shots and he was the type of guy that would like growl at people which i'm not <laughs> which would always be a little weird i was like he's just like not yelling he's not you know raising his arms to the crowd he's not you know pointing three fingers in the air or do his head or any of these other things or wiping the floor or a billion different things you can do when you hit a three-point shot he would just hit a three clap his hands look at whoever he was guarding and growl at him and it was the but you knew when he got in that mode it was going to be lights out he's that day it seemed like the whole team had that mode in this tournament that they knew hey we can roll the dice and lose a game here and maybe we'll be the highest rated team to ever make the ncaa tournament because at some point in time somebody has to be the highest rated team that hasn't made an ncaa tournament you may beat a team that previously hasn't made an ncaa tournament be the highest rated but you got a shot to be that team that doesn't make it and then the old what ifs happen for about a day and everybody moves off of it and you play the ncaa tournament and ETSU goes in IT. You can roll the dice and say, I dare you committee not to put me in, or you can take care of business. And it seemed like this was a, Trey Boyd's word, a business trip, correct? A business trip, and they took care of business. And, and that's a, I think that's the biggest thing that changed in this team. This wasn't a, hey, this is a conference tournament, this is a lifelong dream, we're trying to have fun. No, we came to do work. I can tell you Steve Forbes is happy that the Bucks sealed it up when they did. I've been a wreck for almost three weeks now. Maybe I don't show it, but on the inside, I'm a mess because there's so much pressure when you get to that conversation. At this level, you have to win every game. I watch teams lose two games a week and never move in the net. We would win every game and go down in the net. I quit it. I just quit even thinking about it. I didn't let them think. We didn't even talk about it. But, you know, you can't help as a coach not to think about it a little bit, and you get people asking questions all the time about it. I feel one hell of a lot better right now. I didn't feel good to sport today. I felt good about the team. My stomach was in knots just because I didn't want to go through a week of sitting there going and listening to all the, the pundits talk about if we should be in or we should be out, and, and they really, you know, they didn't really know. Now, I will say this. we got the best commissioner in, in basketball. I mean, Jim Schaus, I mean, I felt totally confident that he was going to do everything in his power that he could do to help us. But I know everybody wanted a two-bid SoCon, and I, I hate to disappoint you, but 
We're going in with 30 wins. It's, it's an honor to me to be to be mentioned in the same breath as Mike as Mike Young's team last year. You know, they won 30 games. Pretty incredible that you've got back-to-back years like this for a dominant team in the Southern Conference. And granted, how things played out last year, I think, did lend themselves more to saying, oh, this is a really, really strong conference. Now you have the number two and three and four teams lose in the quarterfinals in the conference tournament. That doesn't look too great, but at the top of the mountain, you still have that one dominant team. And Wofford went undefeated in the conference regular and postseason last year. The Bucks, of course, did have the two losses in the regular season this year, but to still get to that 30-win number is unbelievable. And now you're two wins past what any team in ETSU history had ever done, and you've still got at least a game – Maybe two, and then I'm not going to go on from that because you and me would start looking at each other in the eye to say, oh, can you think, can you imagine? You know, I'm not going to go there yet. But uh, it is incredible to see, and Coach Forbes on top of that bite and what the sound was we heard earlier regarding this team and how special it was, did have an add-on to that after he talked about how special the team was and giving some perspective to where ETSU ranks, not only in the Southern Conference, but in ETSU lore. To win 30 games, we're one of only four teams in the 100-year history of this great conference to win 30 games. That's a special, special deal. I don't know where we fit in the history of ETSU basketball, but I know this. If there's a Mount Rushmore, we're on it. I'll give you this tweet from at the LaForce, and he's very active out there on everything all the time um, in the ETSU basketball community. Uh, Forbes talked about the Mount Rushmore of ETSU teams tonight, as you heard. I think you have to put this team on it already, along with the 1968 team, which is one that you and me talked about a couple of shows back. Sweet 16, it's hard to argue. Absolutely. And he also puts the 1991 team that was ranked 10th in the country and the 1992 team that beat Arizona in the first round. And then Fred Haynes, at Fred Haynes 1. I was a student at ETSU in 1968. It was a very special year for ETSU men's basketball. Firstly, I love that Fred is on Twitter. He's 70-plus, obviously, now Mm -hmm. at this point. If he was a student in 1968, that's awesome. Fred, keep doing your thing. And I think that that list from Villa Force on Twitter um, is a pretty solid one. Would you argue with it at any point? I mean, uh, it's you know, again, it's always tough because games and things change, and sometimes it's about, you know, it's interesting because – Greg Dennis's group, Talford, Story, all them, they played in four straight. And to maintain something for four straight in any level is obviously unheard of. I mean, and can't be topped. I mean, I don't think you can go to five in four years unless my math's incorrect. So it, it's something that can't be touched. As a group, they obviously had two special teams. They had one that was ranked in the top, as high as the top ten. They were number ten. Uh, you know, was a top 25 for a while, got a 10 seed, which is the highest seed tissues ever got. Then on the back end, you know, when they particularly supposedly didn't have one of the great teams, they pull off one of the greatest upsets in NCAA history by beating a three seed uh, Arizona. And, of course, there wasn't that many 14 versus threes uh, knocked off at that point in time. Now we've had 15 twos and, and a 16-1 finally, but there wasn't a lot of that. It's still, when they do the top 10 best upsets, it's still on there. There's been teams that, were given no shot, no self-respect, and uh, one of those was the Courtney Pegram team in 09, and one of those was Mister's team, which were both 16 seeds. And you're looking at Mister's team lost by one to Oklahoma, which at the time, and well, now again, 16 is one. It was always in the lure of a couple of 16s that lost by a single digit. Not that many been there. ETSU in 09 had the basketball under four minutes to go in a tie game with one of the top seeds in America. And unfortunately, didn't win. And it was a couple fouls late. It got to double digits. That was not, I mean, it was still a four-point game with under a minute to go. So there were a lot of things that you look at there. And it's hard to really, to me, give a definitive, this is number one. And I think there's where Coach Forbes was brilliant in that. All right, I'm not going to say this is the greatest of all time. Because the other thing is, we're trying to celebrate. You want everybody to get on board. You don't want anybody taking the time to argue over who's the greatest team. Are we out of the 11 teams going to the tournament on the Mount Rushmore of that? And, again, team is kind of relative. Is it this particular squad and then that group of the glory years is all lumped into one, or are you trying to break them down individually? Mm. That being said, I, I it is hard to argue right off the cuff sitting here without doing a whole lot of breaking down whatever because you look at 
the misters take him at face team. value i mean just that Absolutely. one little sentence the elevator pitch like if you if you look at that and you go okay obviously 67 68 no three point shot there's a lot of things different there you look at misters teams that was the showtime lakers day i mean teams were scoring 120 points at nauseam you know now you look at it and if you get to 100 points it's almost a christmas miracle right you know, if you get in the 80s, it's all, it's almost that way. So everything has changed one way or another. But I think the list that was given short, I think Coach being smart about it, what he is, I think it's hard to argue everything else that, that you got out there. Now that they've won, you know, you're looking at they're for sure one of the top five, top four. And then you win a game. I mean, what, what do you do? I mean, 6-7-68, Sweet 16 team. Obviously, the 92 team beat Arizona. The 90 team was ranked in the top, you know, 25. So I, I think it was a smart comment. And the other thing is, you know, it it showed how great the program. I think, again, it was, a, it was a secret genius comment. One, it gave tremendous respect to his team that has done more wins than any team in ETSU history. It's also, again, one of, what do you say, four teams, five teams, and the 100-year history. Four, yeah. Four teams. Uh, 100 years of basketball history in which a lot of name programs have been in the Southern Conference. Then you also, you know, your team, Southern Conference, have given respect to the top teams because we have a great basketball tradition there. So I loved everything about that comment. I like the LaForce's list. I wouldn't have any argument right this second. You want me to dive into it after the season? We really get into it. Hey, maybe that's a fun podcast. Uh, we can do that. To me, I just love the story of this season. And now, keep in mind, I wasn't around for – the mystery years obviously wasn't around for 1968 uh there are a lot of things that go into the day-to-day of being around a program and hearing the stories and seeing the stories and the storylines coming together as they have for this year's team that i think separates it from an average team of just winning right a team that just wins a lot and maybe doesn't have the storylines like the bucks did this year now you could also say if if you're around a winning team they're always going to have some incredible storylines that are going to be able to be picked out. And because I wasn't around in 1968 or the mystery years or 2009, like you're talking about, I just don't know. But I can vouch for this year's team because you had the Patrick Good local hero comes back home after going to a rival, didn't work out, and now plays such a big role down the stretch. Of course, the seven threes in eight minutes in the essentially regular season outright championship game gets your team a trophy, takes laps with the ball around the court. It gets no better than that for a kid that grew up here watching the Bucs, coming to games, and then to be a hero himself for the same program. That goes beyond any comprehension that I can have of what could top that. And then to be able to do, and I'm skipping over a lot, but I'm just really summarizing the big ones and the timely ones right now, but to have the revenge on Wofford for last year and the way that you did it. I mean, they absolutely shot the lights out last year. It was unbelievable. 59% from the floor, 56% from three. And you look at the numbers this year, 43% from the floor, 24% from three. And that, to me, is so representative of the difference between last year's team and this year's team for ETSU. One of the worst three-point shooting defending teams in program history for the Bucs last season. And in this tournament, they held VMI to 8 of 25 from beyond the arc after VMI hit a tournament record 18 threes the day before held Western Carolina to seven of 25 held Wofford to six of 25 just kept bumping it down one made three each game every team trying 25 threes against them and this was a Wofford team that hit 16 threes right after VMI hit 18 threes and to be able to come full circle that way against not only Wofford but snuffing out what they did so well the previous year to take you down is just incredible and for Wofford because we're just stream of consciousness kind of running around here and just throwing ideas out there uh Nathan Hoover and Storm Murphy you're just not going to be able to go get a title I'm impressed they made it because you're not going to be able to go get a title with how they were playing I mean, those are your top two scores, undoubtedly. Yes, Goodwin is a really nice player, and you and me have talked about how much I like Goodwin and hate Nathan Hoover as a player. Uh, his career is over. Glad you clarified that. <laughs> as a player, don't know. I'm probably a great guy, but just as a player, cannot stand to watch him play. And it was fitting yesterday that he went out the way he did because it showed that he truly was a fantastic role player and just could not be the guy. And Murphy and Hoover, you take away the game-winning shot, that Murphy had, which was, by the way, extremely impressive. I watched it here in studio while I was doing some stuff for 
the Buccaneers uh, championship game, of course, the next day. But to drive left, do the up and under from 16 feet, contort your body, shift your momentum, and just dead center, center cut to knock out Chattanooga and break their hearts. I know you love that part. But you take that shot out, and there were very, very few good moments for them in this tournament. Throw out Citadel, right, because that's the first team in 60 years in the conference to go through the entire year and not win a league game. And obviously this was going to be that Friday night matchup, a bit of a blowout. Throw that out. Hoover and Murphy, 5 for 20 combined against Furman. 9 to 22 against Chattanooga, that's okay. But for guys that are remarkable shooters as they are, still a bit subpar. And then against CTSU in the championship game, 5 of 19. Just not good enough. And Goodwin could do everything in his power. And you could have Stump and uh, Larson, who had an awful day too. But you could have all those guys pick up the slack. Messiah Jones, you know, and I thought it was big yesterday that the Bucks got him in foul trouble because he has 18 points against the Bucks one game, 19 another, and the rest of his career he's got one other game in which he has 18 points or more. So two of the top three outings in his career against the Bucks, Huge to get him in foul trouble. All those guys could go off, and you still would be in a really, really disconcerting position if you're the Terriers because Hoover and Murphy that make up the majority of your scoring are just not producing. And, of course, you have to give ETSU credit because – while I talk about you know them holding VMI the day after they score 96 to 57, it was only what three days earlier that Wofford put up 93, and it just speaks to the balance and the dedication of this team on the defensive end, but offensively too, right? I mean, you score 41 more points against Western Carolina than Mercer scored against them the day before. You hold VMI 39 points below their Friday total on Saturday, and then you do to Wofford a couple of days later. Uh, in terms of holding them down, what, 35 points below what they scored on Friday? Um, on each end of the court, that's the impressive thing to me, the Bucks can do it all. And it doesn't matter who does it. I mean, David Williamson was 14 of his first 16 in the tournament. It was one of six in the final, but then Isaiah Tisdale with 24 points, right? And then the Bucks may miss a couple of shots, but they just keep getting extra chances. If it's Tisdale on the glass, if it's Rodriguez on the glass, if it's Goussaint on the glass, everybody's crashing the boards. It must be so frustrating to play ETSU because there just are no holes. And that's what I think Steve Forbes was saying in his bite earlier when he said it wasn't a special team last year. It was a really good team, but Wofford was special. They didn't have any holes. They had Jackson down low, McGee outside, and two really good role players in Murphy and Hoover. The Bucks did not have any holes this year. I mean, if you just think about it, North UNCG's thinking, i got to stop right for the firm again. i got to stop Rodriguez down low. He's out of the game. Who's your leading scorer? Joe Hughley. Where did he come from? Right. You look at West Carolina, 10-point lead, four to go. The seventh leading score explodes for 17 points in the last four minutes. I mean, there's so many. Like, what do you do if you're trying to, to defend the offense of ETSU? Here's the thing I wanted to bring up, because last year I know Coach Forbes was very upset. They gave up uh, – the, they were the worst three-point percentage defense team in the history of ETSU, yep. 38%. So let me just say this. Last year, ETSU from the floor gave up 44%. This year, they gave up 43%, fairly close. Last year, as we said, 38%, gave up 296 made threes. This year, ETSU gave up 30% from three, just 208 makes from beyond the arc. They forced teams to go inside, so they took over a hundred less threes, and they made 88 less threes this year. Wow. 71 more field goals last year, so 88 more threes last year. I mean, th to me, defensive simple math just says right there, because you look at, you know, they gave up, and last year was still a pretty solid defensive team. They gave up just 69.7 points this year, obviously better at 63, but I think the number of threes, when you average it out, that's two, three, less threes made per game, plus, again, 80% percentage points less. That's the biggest difference on the defensive end, the unselfishness on the offensive end, and the many different ways they could beat you. Some games it was from the free throw line. Some games it was from three. Some games it was points off turnovers. Some games it was second chance points. I mean, you get where I'm going with this. Eight different leading scores. I mean, it's just – it's incredible – the buy-in and what everybody's been able to do. It's a, it's a fun, fun team to watch. I think it's hard to compare this team to others, and the biggest reason is because, you know, it's like, well, 
Tim Smith's a Kiwa dude. You know, Gerald Fields, who's doing that? Mr. Jennings, Greg Dennis, Calvin Talford, who, who you stop? I mean, okay, well, those guys got to guard five, six different positions. Too. It's just really – it's real. there's just a – this is – this is more like the misters teams except maybe a little more defensive oriented because there was just so many different guys that could beat you. I think that's the, you know, when you look at, you know, the 67-68 team, you know, there were a couple of guys that could really score the basketball back then. Harley Skeeter Swift, of course, led the way. Arnie Sims, Tommy Woods literally got every rebound known to mankind. I think he averaged like 20 boards a game or something insane <laughs> that year. So, I actually, I think it's 18.7. That's not even a joke. I mean, wow. he really – dominated the glass that much so you know that team was so this team has so much going for it and they win so many different ways there's no panic it's just a fun team and because they're so versatile vmi they had to go small they had to play five guards right then all of a sudden western carolina they've got to run a four and a five out there just because the style of play yesterday it was more four guards one post player but three guys rotated in at the five i mean it's just however you want to play it they seem to have the pieces, and guys are okay with this game. Maybe it's not going to be – it's almost like it's a football team and you're going against, okay, uh, if you're playing a three-back – like you're looking at the defense, you're going, all right, we're playing a three-back team, so, you know, we need more linebackers and safeties. Okay, now we're playing Sanford. They're chucking all over the field. All right, now we need six, seven cornerbacks, so you know those guys are going to play more against this team. It's almost like that. It's like situational. You guys need to be ready because against these teams – you know you're going to get more time against these teams. You know what? We need you to be a team player, you know, be a cheerleader, and you're going to play less minutes and be okay with it. We've talked for 40 minutes, and I don't even think we've really mentioned the production that the Bucks got from Jeromey Rodriguez. And, and I think it's overshadowed and not thought about and not talked about simply because it's not the numbers we're used to seeing from him, right? He played a lot bigger role on last year's team. But that being said, he was injured this year, and wasn't off to the start that he wanted, I think, even before the injury as he was trying to get right and have a big, you know, redshirt senior season. But the fact that he's come back, not only from a decision to go and turn pro and then go back to ETSU, you know, what, a, a few weeks later, but come back from the injury and gone into this new role and not complained and not been selfish and been fine with Lucas Goussaint, who's been a lot better this year, what, 13 of the last 16 games he was in double figures going into yesterday and Hughley I mean not getting a lot of minutes but getting a lot of production as well um Jerome is fitting right in and that's so difficult to be able to do after where he was the position that he was in and on a team that's loaded with other talent 9 to 13 from the field 13 rebounds in 15 minutes or 50 minutes excuse me 9 to 13 13 rebounds in 50 minutes I mean that's extremely impressive and when you have three or four different players doing that every game which it seems like the Bucs do you not only have the top end guys right well I think everybody in the starting lineup against Western Carolina was in double figures but then you look at the rest of the box score and it's a two for three here for five points and then a one for two for five points there and three for four for 11 points and that just adds up and it's a lot easier as well gotta point this out for everybody to be happy and content with how things are going, not only when you're winning, but when you're being as efficient as everyone is being. Isaiah Tisdale, you talked about the 49 points and the 17-18 from the line. He got 49 points on 20 shots. That's outrageous. I mean, that's a two-and-a-half point-to-shot ratio. That is completely unheard of outside of just a one-game aberration. And we've seen those one-game aberrations from a lot of the Bucks this year. But this is a trend, not a mirage. I mean, he was dialed in the entire tournament. So, Jerome Goussaint. Tisdale up and down the one through nine for ETSU. Hughley, obviously what he did, uh, just an incredible job to stay balanced, stay calm, cool, collected, stay content, and make sure that you're not stepping on other guys' toes, supporting them, and working towards that common goal, as we've heard from ETSU the entire year. I just want to chime, because I think you make an excellent point on Rodriguez. To me, and the box score, number one, the box score doesn't, if you just read, without reading the play-by-play and everything, when guys score matters right and some of the bench guys hit big shots when it mattered the other thing is rodriguez is going to make plays and saves on a couple of balls or a couple big rebounds that determined the western carolina outcome he had a couple plays in the vmi but i thought especially the sort of three four plays right in a row defense offense straight down the floor against um wofford that were instrumental in that game where in the zone, he made a cross-court pass that nobody thought he was going to make. 
hit a shot. You saw Wofford get deflated immediately because it was one of those, like, out of all the guys you thought was going to be able to beat you with a pass in his own, they're probably not thinking Rodriguez will. Then he makes a tough rebound on the other end, starts a break, gets a bucket. Then he gets an offensive rebound, keeps alive, gets the ball back, scores when the ball is partially blocked, and then he tracks down and fights two guys for a defensive rebound. And those four plays just kind of boom, 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 kind of helped stretch it from what was maybe like an 8-10 point game out to that 14-15 point lead. And that's what really, I think, broke the back of the Terriers. And I think that's that. it's amazing when he got in, he was able to make just enough plays and show you what he could do. And if, as he gets healthier and goes, what can he bring you in the table when maybe you play a traditional team, let's say the Bucks draw a Big Ten or a, um, an ACC school or something like that where they're going to play a true four and a five. Now you, Rodriguez, as he's getting back into it, will see more minutes on the floor, I think, with Lucas Gasson. We've talked for 45 minutes and barely touched on perhaps the Bucks' most complete player. I feel like it still hasn't hit me yet. I don't even know when it's going to hit me. It's probably when I get on the bus and I started really thinking about like what we did this year. And we still got a lot to go. I, mean, I feel like we're resilient. I feel like we have a great group of guys, man. We love each other like brothers. So as you can see on the court, and no matter who it is that night, we feed them. And I'm just so excited. And it's something I, I've dreamed about coming here. And, uh, you know, Coach Savage and Forbes, the one recruited me. And I said, I'll do everything y'all need me to do to win. And I didn't care if I played five to well, how many minutes. I just knew that when I got on the court, I had to be effective and be efficient in my time. And I don't know when it's going to hit me, but I know that we, we did some big time in history of this program. No question about that. That's Bo Hodges. He went one of eight against VMI. And in a tournament atmosphere, when that is your first game, that can be really difficult for a lot of guys. That's difficult to bounce back the next day, just 28 hours later, and put up the kind of games that he did. 10 of 16 combined for 21 points and also grabbed 14 rebounds over the next two games and a block, you know, five assists. I mean, we know he stuffs the stat sheet, but to hear him say and recollect and reminisce, whatever you need me to do to help you win to the coaches, he truly has done that over his time at ETSU. And this is someone for one year, as we transition to Joe Hughley, who we haven't heard from but talked a lot about, that wants to do the same. Every game, I try to come in there, and no matter if I play five or 20 minutes, I try to affect the game in the most efficient way possible. And I think today, I knew we need some energy. You know, they, we took a punch from them, and I try to, you know, do whatever I can to help us punch back. You know, getting rebounds, I try to do everything that, you know, team needed me to do. And that's been my role all year. It's just filling the plug, you know what I'm saying? Whatever needs to be done, do it. The amount of minutes that I go out there and play. So that's just all I was thinking about out there, just affect the game positively any way I can. And obviously Joe Hughley has. And to hear Bo Hodges talk the way he did, we don't hear a lot from Bo Hodges. Right? I mean, he's not a guy that usually wants to get on the mic, talk a whole lot, uh, doesn't generally um, string together his you know, emotions and feelings uh, because he doesn't want to, uh, because he just wants to keep things to himself because he's a quieter guy, whatever the case may be. So when you're getting 40 seconds out of Bo Hodges that sounded like those 40 seconds do, uh, to me – that was just a special soundbite to hear him open up and talk about that a little bit because generally you're going to hear from the Hughleys, you're going to hear from the Tisdales, the, the Boyds, the guys that are out there more, but I'm really happy for Bo to hear him talk like that and know that it means a lot to him and uh, talk about his journey getting up to this point uh, because he absolutely deserves it because I think along with Joe Hughley, he is one of the guys that has helped establish this culture the way it's been. 42nd member of the 1000 point club too which we probably glossed over as well but between to me between Hughley Hodges Tisdale giving you all around everything no that he does and then the transformation of Trey Boyd the core of this team just unbelievable now Hodges is going to be the only guy left of that group going into next season we'll worry about that later but what they've set forth for the guys next season which still has plenty of talent that's coming back, but still maybe two talented scores that are going to step in right away now and score. Uh, you know, that being uh, Ladarius Brewer, and then I think uh, Damari Monsanto. Those guys are going to add a lot. I think Charlie Weber's going to go. Future's bright. We're certainly not, uh, or I'm not trying to turn a page on this team, but I think my point is the culture and what they've set forth on how to be team and what to do to get wins. I hope is something that carries on with the next group that was a part of this and some solid guys that are coming back and who can pick up the defense because that's the one thing. Hughley post defense, very smart, very good. 
I think certainly we know Hodges, who will be back, can guard every position. Tisdale turned himself into just a fierce competitor that made every play down the stretch when you needed it. He certainly was smart enough to know where guys were going to go, beat him to the spot, take a charge when need be. Took a charge against the six foot nine Goodwin, as a matter of fact, not just all the guards. So it's been a fun ride, and I love hearing all the things that these guys have said, and they've sung it from before the season started, and they continue to sing it now with 30 wins. And you make a great point on Trey Boyd. He, it's no coincidence, went from a guy that was more stat, going to get mine, chuck up a shot, and make it, and then take eight more right after, heat check every time if I've got one. It seemed a lot more last year, like, and we talked about it at the beginning of the year, middle of the year, and now at this point in the year, that he was maybe not completely bought in and the conversations he had with coach Forbes and I'm sure that there are some conversations behind the scenes with players too that certainly I think helped bring the team together so really there's a lot of people and you name four good ones I think a lot of people that have been involved in making this team what it is culture wise and it's clearly transitioned on the court And this is the last bite we have from head coach C4 just unbelievable togetherness fight resiliency we came out we popped them in the mouth, they popped us in the mouth and, and came right back. Which Jay did an unbelievable job getting his team to the uh, to the finals. They play, I knew they were going to play hard, and they did. I think we just kind of wore them down. The great thing about this team is we just—it's a different guy every game. And tonight Tisdale was phenomenal. I mean, he just willed us to the win. And uh, Joe played with great passion. You know, and Bo's Bo. Bo just does everything. And so um, I'm really happy for our team, and I'm really happy for our community in our school because you saw tonight they came by the thousands fans absolutely incredible the entire weekend coach Forbes said after the first session for ETSU that that was the most people he's seen in the building for a first game of a tournament for a team and it looked like a very impressive crowd then and then it only grew as he predicted throughout the rest of the tournament to the point where last night yes there were some Wofford fans there you could hear them when things started to go well for Wofford but it's still and correct me if I'm wrong but what 65 35 70 30 uh, yeah. even 70, more perhaps easy. if if not more now Wofford did bust some of the students in and they did a good job I thought maybe they weren't worth them the whole year but they did a good job I think of trying to create an atmosphere they made some noise I mean certainly they they've been there before they understand how it all works so uh it's still an ETSU crowd ETSU fans were turned away they were the first people at three o'clock sitting down waiting to get in the door that's the pot committed the fan base is right now for Johnson City South, as we call it. Impressive weekend. So happy for the Bucks. So happy for head coach Steve Forbes, all the players, all the coaches, all the staff. You had a great call of the game. Very well done. Uh, and tonight we get to hear more of you and Coach Forbes because it will be the coaches show at 6 o'clock, and I think that, that place is going to be packed. I think it's going to be Can't packed. Can't wait. Oh, it's going to be a Where's great Where's my time. Bart Scott? I need this. <laughs> one of my favorites. All right. Uh, we're back Friday. We'll do something Friday. Friday. We're, yep. we're going to take a couple days. Uh, we'll start studying stuff. We'll get you set for – what we think, maybe uh, looking at all the bracketologies, making predictions, having a little fun with it. Maybe, maybe get a bracketologist or two or something. Yeah, maybe do something. We'll, we'll figure it out. But we'll talk NCAA tournament bound ETSU on Friday. And tonight, ETSU could switch to the and other things. Really pumped about this entire scenario and circumstance, obviously, for the Bucs. And really excited come Sunday, Selection Sunday, to see where they go, who they play, when they play them. This is a great position to be in, obviously. It's going to be difficult, though. I mean, you got a quick turnaround. You don't know at all what the selection committee is going to unfold and what they're going to show you, and that's the beauty of it. The mystery, the fun, the excitement, the winning. I mean, it's all just made for a great four months, and a four months that will continue for months. All right, we'll be back with you Friday. This is what ETSU planned on being. We've gotten here. Where will they go? What will they do? We'll talk about it Friday. We'll give you all of our thoughts. Can't wait till we get over you know, both predictions. Yeah, we'll do that Friday. I'll talk to you. I guess. Sando sidekick. Bye, Gators. See ya.